Hello everybody and welcome into the Bible Reading Podcast, episode number 211. Today's big Bible question, why in the world did Jesus spit in a blind man's eyes? So hello friends, happy Lord's Day to you. Join us if you will at our Facebook Live page today, Sunday at 11 a.m. Pacific, VBC Salinas, that's VBC Salinas, Victor Bravo Charlie, S-A-L-I-N-A-S, for a time of worship and a message on the fullness of the Holy Spirit, which, you know, I think is an area that uh, Baptists like myself and churches like ours are missing something, or actually we're missing someone in a massive way. So our question today is an odd one to be sure, but I think we have a great answer for it. Now, I can say that confidently because I didn't write the answer. For today, I am leaning more heavily than normal on Brother Charles Spurgeon, friend of the podcast. Tonight at about 11 p.m., our cute little dog, Cooper, had to be rushed. Well, I guess that's a little dramatic. We actually obeyed the speed limit as we drove him to the doggy emergency room where we stayed for almost two hours while Cooper had to be induced to barf up the grapes that he ate. Doggies cannot eat grapes or raisins, my friends. File that one away in your memory. Anyway, Cooper seems okay now, but we did get home very late, and the hour is very late as I type this, so I had to give Mr. Spurgeon a ring and ask him if he could help us, and as a good polite British gentleman. He was more than happy to oblige, and we're very grateful for that. And he's going to teach us a very important message, and I think it's going to be a great delight to your soul to hear it and learn from it. Our Bible readings today include Judges chapter 9, a strange passage to be sure, in which 70 brothers are mercilessly slaughtered by the 71st brother, as well as Jeremiah 22, Acts 13, and Mark chapter 8, which is our focus passage, a passage in which Jesus literally and genuinely spits in the eyes of a blind man. So let's read that passage now. This is Mark chapter 8, verse 1 in the Christian Standard Bible. In those days there was again a large crowd, and they had nothing to eat. He called the disciples and said to them, I have compassion on the crowd because they've already stayed with me three days and have nothing to eat. If I send them home hungry, they will collapse on the way and some of them have come a long distance. His disciples answered him, Where can anyone get enough bread here in this desolate place to feed these people? How many loaves do you have? He asked them. Seven, they said. He commanded the crowd to sit down on the ground. Taking the seven loaves, he gave thanks, broke them, and gave them to his disciples to set before the people. So they served them to the crowd. They also had a few small fish, and after he had blessed them, he said these were to be served as well. They ate and were satisfied. Then they collected seven large baskets of leftover pieces. About 4,000 were there. He dismissed them, and he immediately got into a boat with his disciples and went to the district of Dalmanutha. The Pharisees came and began to argue with him, demanding him of, of him a sign from heaven to test him. Sighing deeply in his spirit, he said, Why does this generation demand a sign? Truly, I tell you, no sign will be given to this generation. Then he left them, got back into the boat, and went to the other side. The disciples had forgotten to take bread and had only one loaf with them in the boat. Then he gave them strict orders, Watch out! Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. They were discussing among themselves that they do not have any bread. Aware of this, he said to them, 
Why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Don't you understand or comprehend? Do you have hardened hearts? Do you have eyes and not see? Do you have ears and not hear? And do you not remember when I broke the five loaves for the 5,000? How many baskets full of leftovers did you collect? Uh, Twelve, they told him. When I broke the seven loaves for the 4,000, how many basketfuls of pieces did you collect? Uh, Seven, they said. And he said to them, Don't you understand yet? They came to Bethsaida. They brought a blind man to him and begged him to touch him. He took the blind man by the hand and brought him out of the village. Spitting on his eyes and laying his hands on him, he asked him, Do you see anything? He looked up and said, I see people. They look like trees walking. Again, Jesus placed his hand on the man's eyes. The man looked intently and his sight was restored and he saw everything clearly. Then he went home saying, don't even go into the village. Jesus went out with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi and on the road he asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? And they answered him, John the Baptist, others Elijah, still others one of the prophets. But you, he asked them, who do you say that I am? Peter answered him, you are the Messiah. And he strictly warned them to tell no one about him. Then he began to teach them that it was necessary for the Son of Man to suffer many things and he'd be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and scribes, be killed, and rise after three days. He spoke openly about this, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning around and looking at his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan. You're not thinking about God's concerns, but human concerns. Calling the crowd along with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone wants to follow after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life because of me and the gospel will save it. For what does it benefit someone to gain the whole world and yet lose his life? What can anyone give in exchange for his life? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation The Son of Man will also be ashamed of him when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. So what a strange thing for Jesus to do, to take the blind man outside of the town and spit in his eyes. Why would he do such a thing, Mr. Spurgeon? Spurgeon writes, We must not attempt to dictate to God with regard to his answers to our prayers. Let us learn that lesson from the incident before us. They bring a blind man unto him and besought him to open his eyes. Well, that would have been a very proper prayer if the men had did that. But instead, the Bible says they besought him to touch him. But Christ did not do his work according to their request. He took the blind man by the hand, led him out of the town. And when he had spit on his eyes and put his hands upon him, he asked him if he saw. Now, with regard to our prayers, we may bring our children and friends and neighbors to Christ. And we may ask that they may be saved, but we should not dictate to Christ the methods by which salvation must come to them, for it is very usual with him not to follow those means which we would prescribe to him. That plan of touching the sick person was a very common one with Christ, and therefore the people began to expect that he must always heal by a touch. Naaman thought that the prophet Elisha would come out to him and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God and strike his hand over the place and recover the leper, but Naaman was mistaken, as were these people at Bethsaida. 
it was a sort of understanding among them that Christ's touch was the usual method by which his cures were wrought. So they sought him to touch their blind friend, but Jesus would not give any support to that notion. If they thought that he wrought his miracles by putting his hands upon the sick, then he would not put his hands upon them. He would let them see that he was not bound to any particular method. If he had allowed them to cherish such an idea, probably their next step in error would have been that they would have said that it was an enchantment, a kind of performance, by certain passes and touches, as by a wizard or conjurer, through which Christ would went in order to heal the sick. Superstition can be very easily made to grow, and you and I, mark it, may think ourselves perfectly free from superstition, yet all the while it may only have taken some other form from that which it appears in other people. For instance, if the Lord is pleased to bless a certain creature to the conversion of souls, you may settle it in your mind that, if you get your children to hear him, they will assuredly be saved. Yet it may not be the case, for the Lord has a thousand ways of saving souls, and he's not tied to any one man as his agent or instrument. It may get to be a kind of superstitious notion that, in some one person alone, the power of converting others may rest. Or it may be that you say to yourself, I was converted by reading such and such a book. If I get my boy to read that book, it will convert him too. Yet the book may have no influence whatsoever upon him, for the grace of God is not tied to any book nor to any way of working that you choose to prescribe. I should not wonder, my dear friends, if some of you have tried to tie the Lord down to your way of working. For instance, in your class in the Sunday school, It was the reading of a certain chapter in the Bible that brought one of your scholars to Christ. So, in order to bring the rest of them to the Savior, you get them to read that same chapter. That may be all right, for the Lord can bless it to them if he pleases. But at the same time, you must remember that he is a sovereign God and that therefore he will probably use other means in other cases. You preached, dear friend, in the street or in the chapel, and God blessed that sermon, so you've made up your mind that you will preach it a second time. I recommend you not to do so, for very likely it will hang fire if you do. If you begin to confide in the sermon, God will not bless it. I think it's often well to do with a good sermon, as David did with Goliath's sword. He said that there was none like it, yet he did not keep it by him for constant use, but he laid it before the Lord. Then it was ready for the special occasion when it was required. When God has blessed any sermon that I have preached, I do not make it a rule to preach it again, lest I might be led to put my trust in that sermon or to have some confidence in the way in which I set forth the truth rather than in the truth itself, though I never hesitate to preach the same sermon again and again if I feel that the Spirit leads me to do so. We must not, in our prayers, tie the Lord down to any particular means, for He can use whatever means He pleases, and He will do so whatever we may say. We may ask Him to open the blind man's eyes, but it is not our place to pray and beseech Him to touch the blind man in a particular way in order to effect His cure. Notice also that Christ did not answer the prayer of these people in the place where they presented it. They brought the blind man to him and they evidently expected the Lord Jesus Christ to open his eyes there, but Jesus did not do so. He took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the town, right away from the place where the people wanted to have the miracle performed. The Savior acted as though he could not do anything in the matter until he was out of the town 
and he would not speak a word to him till he got him quite away by himself. Well, now it's very easy in our prayers to fix upon a certain place as the one where God will give his blessing and to think, the friend I am praying for must be converted in this church or that or must be converted in the little meeting that I hold in my house or must be brought to Jesus Christ in the church where I attend or in the chapel where I worship. But our Lord may perhaps never convert that young man in any one of the places you have mentioned. He may meet him behind the counter or on board a ship or walking by the way or even on a sickbed. Do not be disappointed, therefore, when your place does not prove to be God's place. Take your friend to the house of God for Christ's miracles on a Sabbath day and in the synagogue are frequent. But do not try to tie him down to the synagogue or church meeting place for he must be left at liberty to work his miracles in his own way. Amen. What a profound answer from Charles Spurgeon. Thank you, Brother Spurgeon, for sharing that with us. Let's continue reading in the Bible. Judges chapter 9, verse 1. Abimelech, son of Jerubbaal, went to Shechem and spoke to his uncles and to his mother's whole clan, saying, Please speak in the hearing of all the citizens of Shechem. Is it better for you that seventy men, all the sons of Jeroboam, rule over you, or that one man rule over you? Remember that I am your own flesh and blood. His mother's relatives spoke all these words about him in the hearing of all the citizens of Shechem, and they were favorable to Abimelech, for he said, they said, he is our brother. So they gave him seventy pieces of silver from the temple of Baal Bereth, and Abimelech used it to hire worthless and reckless men and they followed him. He went to his father's house in Ophrah and killed his 70 brothers, the sons of Jeroboam, on top of a large stone. But Jotham, the youngest son of Jeroboam, survived because he hid. Then all the citizens of Shechem and of Beth Milo gathered together and proceeded to make Abimelech king at the oak of the pillar in Shechem. When they told Jotham, he climbed to the top of Mount Gerizim, raised in his voice, and called out to them, Listen to me, citizens of Shechem, and may God listen to you. The trees decided to anoint a king over themselves. They said to the olive tree, reign over us. But the olive tree said to them, should I stop giving my oil that people use to honor both God and men and rule over the trees? Then the tree said to the fig tree, come and reign over us. But the fig tree said to them, should I stop giving my sweetness and my good fruit and rule over trees? Later the tree said to the grapevine, come and reign over us. But the grapevine said to them, Should I stop giving my wine wine that cheers both God and men and rule over trees? Finally, all the trees said to the bramble, Come and reign over us. The bramble said to the trees, If you really are anointing me as king over you, come and find refuge in my shade. But if not, may fire come out from the bramble and consume the cedars of Lebanon. Now, if you have acted faithfully and honestly in making Abimelech king, if you have done well by Jeroboam and his family, And if you have rewarded him appropriately for what he did, for my father fought for you, risked his life, and rescued you from Midian, and now you have attacked my father's family today, killed his seventy sons on top of a large stone, and made Abimelech, the son of his slave woman, king over the citizens of Shechem, because he is your brother. So if you have acted faithfully and honestly with Jeroboam and his house this day, Rejoice in Abimelech, and may he also rejoice in you. But if not, may fire come from Abimelech and consume the citizens of Shechem and Beth Milo. And may fire come from the citizens of Shechem and Beth Milo and consume Abimelech. Then Jotham fled, escaping to Beir, and lived there because of his brother Abimelech. 
When Abimelech had ruled over Israel three years, God sent an evil spirit between Abimelech and the citizens of Shechem. They treated Abimelech deceitfully so that the crime against the 70 sons of Jeroboam might come to justice and their blood would be avenged on their brother Abimelech who killed them and on the citizens of Shechem who had helped him kill his brothers. The citizens of Shechem rebelled against him by putting men in ambush on the tops of the mountains and they robbed everyone who passed by them on the road. So this was reported to Abimelech. Gael, son of Ebed, came with his brothers and crossed into Shechem, and the citizens of Shechem trusted him, so they went out to the countryside and harvested grapes from their vineyards. They trampled the grapes and held a celebration. They went, then they went to the house of their god, and as they ate and drank, they cursed Abimelech. Gael, son of Ebed, said, Who is Abimelech and who is Shechem that we should serve him? Isn't he the son of Jeroboam and isn't Zebul his officer? You are to serve the men of Hamor, the father of Shechem. Why should we serve Abimelech? If only these people were in my power, I would remove Abimelech. So he said to Abimelech, gather your army and come out. When Zebul, the ruler of the city, heard the words of Gael, son of Ebed, he was angry. So he secretly sent messengers to Abimelech, saying, Beware, Gael, son of Ebed, and his brothers have come to Shechem and are turning the city against you. Now tonight you and the troops with you come and wait in ambush in the countryside, then get up early and at sunrise attack the city. When he and the troops who are with him come out against you, do to him whatever you can. So Abimelech and all the troops with him got up at night and waited in ambush for Shechem in four units. Gael, son of Ebed, went out and stood at the entrance of the city gate. Then Abimelech and the troops who were with him got up from their ambush, and when Gael saw the troops, he said to Zebul, Look, troops are coming down from the mountaintops. But Zebul said to him, The shadows of the mountains look like men to you. Then Gael spoke again, Look, troops are coming down from the central part of the land, and one unit is coming from the direction of the diviner's oak. Zabel replied, What do you have to say now? You said who is Abimelech that we should serve him. Aren't these the troops you despise? Now go and fight them. So Gael went out leading the citizens of Shechem and fought against Abimelech, but Abimelech pursued him, and Gael fled before him. Numerous bodies were strewn as far as the entrance of the city gate. Abimelech stayed in Aruma, and Zabel drove Gael and his brothers from Shechem. The next day, when the people of Shechem went into the countryside, this was reported to Abimelech. He took the troops, divided them into three companies, and waited in ambush in the countryside. He looked, and the people were coming out of the city, so he arose against them and struck them down. Then Abimelech and the units that were with him rushed forward and took their stand at the entrance of the city gate. The other two units rushed against all who were in the countryside and struck them down. So Abimelech fought against the city that entire day, captured it, and killed the people who were in it. Then he tore down the city and sowed it with salt. When all the citizens of the tower of Shechem heard, they entered the inner chamber of the temple of El-Barith. Then it was reported to Abimelech that all the citizens of the tower of Shechem had gathered. So Abimelech and all the troops who were with him went up to Mount Zalman, Abimelech took his axe in his hand and cut a branch from the trees. He picked up the branch, put it on his shoulder, and said to the troops who were with him, Hurry and do what you see me do. Each of the have seen me do. Each of the troops also cut his own branch and followed Abimelech. They put the branches against the inner chamber and set it on fire. About a thousand men and women died, including all the men 
of the Tower of Shechem. Abimelech went to Thebes, capped in it, and captured it. There was a strong tower inside the city, and all the men and women citizens of the city fled there. They locked themselves in and went up to the roof of the tower. When Abimelech came to attack the tower, he approached its entrance and set it on fire, but a woman threw the upper portion of a millstone on Abimelech's head and fractured his skull. He quickly called his armor-bearer and said to him, Draw your sword and kill me, or they'll say about me a woman killed him. So his armor-bearer ran him through and he died. When the Israelites saw that Abimelech was dead, they all went home. In this way, God brought Abimelech's evil, the evil that Abimelech had done to his father when he killed his 70 brothers. God also brought back to the men of Shechem all their evil. So the curse of Jotham, son of Jeroboam, came upon them. Jeremiah chapter 22. This is what the Lord says. Go down to the palace of the king of Judah and announce this word there. You are to say, hear the word of the Lord, king of Judah, you who sit on the throne of David, you, your officers, and your people who enter these gates. This is what the Lord says. Administer justice and righteousness. Rescue the victim of robbery from his oppressor. Don't exploit or brutalize the resident alien, the fatherless or the widow. Don't shed innocent blood in this place. For if you conscientiously carry out this word, then kings sitting on David's throne will enter through the gates of this palace riding on chariots and horses, they, their officers, and their people. But if you do not obey these words, then I swear by myself, this is the Lord's declaration, that this house will become a ruin. For this is what the Lord says concerning the house of the king of Judah. You are like Gilead to me, or the summit of Lebanon, but I will certainly turn you into a wilderness. Uninhabited cities, I will set apart destroyers against you, each with his weapons. They will cut down the choicest of your cedars and throw them into the fire. Many nations will pass by this city and ask one another, why did the Lord do such a thing to this great city? And they will answer, Because they abandoned the covenant of the Lord their God and bowed and worshipped to other gods and served them. Do not weep for the dead. Do not mourn for him. Weep bitterly for the one who has gone away, for he will never return again and see his native land. For this is what the Lord says concerning Shalom, son of Josiah, king of Judah, who became king in place of his father Josiah, who has left this place. He will never return here again, but he will die in the place where they deported him, never seeing this land again. Woe for the one who builds his palace through unrighteousness, his upstairs rooms through injustice, who makes his neighbor serve without pay and will not give him his wages, who says, I will build myself a massive palace with spacious upstairs rooms. He will cut windows in it and it will be paneled with cedar and painted bright red. Are you a king because you excelled in cedar? Didn't your father eat and drink and administer justice and righteousness? Then it went well with him. He took up the case of the poor and the needy. Then it went well. Is this not what it means to know me? This is the Lord's declaration. But you have eyes and a heart for nothing except your own dishonest prophet, shedding innocent blood and committing extortion and oppression. Therefore, this is what the Lord says concerning Jehoiakim, son of Josiah, king of Judah. They will not mourn for him, saying, Woe, my brother, or woe, my sister. They will not mourn for him, saying, Woe, Lord, woe, his majesty. He will be buried like a donkey, dragged off and thrown outside Jerusalem's gates. Go up to Lebanon and cry out. Raise your voice in Bashan. Cry out from Abarim, for all your lovers have been crushed. I spoke to you when you were secure. You said, I will not listen. This has been your way since youth. Indeed, you've never listened to me. 
The wind will take charge of all your shepherds, and your lovers will go into captivity. Then you will be ashamed and humiliated because of all your evil. Evil, You residents of Lebanon, nestled among the cedars, how you will groan when pains come on you, agony like a woman in labor. As I live, this is the Lord's declaration. Though you, Kaniah, son of Jehoiakim, the king of Judah, were a signet ring on my right hand, I would tear you from it. In fact, I will hand you over to those you dread, who intend to take your life, to Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and the Chaldeans. I will hurl you and the mother who gave birth to you into another land where neither of you were born, and there you will both die. They will, they will never return to the land they long to return to. Is this man, Kaniah, a despised shattered pot, a jar no one wants? Why are he and his descendants hurled out and cast into a land they have not known? Earth, 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 hear the word of the Lord. This is what the Lord says. Record this man as childless, a man who will not be successful in his lifetime. None of his descendants will succeed in sitting on the throne of David or ruling again in Judah. Acts chapter 13, verse 1. Now in the church at Antioch there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manion, a close friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. As they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after they had fasted, prayed, and laid hands on them, they sent them off. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. Arriving in Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the Jewish synagogues. They also had John as their assistant. And when they traveled the whole island as far as Paphos, they came across a sorcerer, a Jewish false prophet named Bar-Jesus. He was with the proconsul Sergius Paulus, an intelligent man. This man summoned Barnabas and Saul and wanted to hear the word of God, but Elymas the sorcerer, that's the meaning of his name, opposed them and tried to turn the proconsul away from the faith. But Saul, also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, stared straight at Elymas and said, You are full of all kinds of deceit and trickery, you son of the devil and enemy of all that is right. Won't you ever stop perverting the straight paths of the Lord? Now look, the Lord's hand is against you. You are going to be blind and you will not see the sun for a time. Immediately a mist and darkness fell on him and he went around seeking someone to lead him by the hand. Then when he saw what happened, the proconsul believed because he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. Paul and his companions set sail from Paphos and came to Perga in Pamphylia, but John left them and went back to Jerusalem. They continued their journey from Perga and reached Pisidian Antioch. On the Sabbath day, they went into the synagogue and sat down. After the reading of the law and the prophets, the leaders of the synagogue sent word to them, saying, Brothers, if you have any word of encouragement for the people, you can speak. Paul stood up and motioned with his hand and said, Fellow Israelites and you who fear God, listen. The God of this people chose, of this people Israel chose our ancestors, made the people prosper during their stay in the land of Egypt, and led them out of it with a mighty arm. And for about forty years he put up with them in the wilderness, and after destroying seven nations in the land of Canaan, he gave them their land as an inheritance. This all took about four hundred and fifty years. After this he gave them judges until Samuel the prophet. Then they asked for a king, and God gave them Saul the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin, for forty years. After removing him, he raised up David as their king, and 
testified about him, I have found David the son of Jesse to be a man after my own heart who will carry out all my will. From this man's descendants, as he promised, God brought to Israel the Savior, Jesus. Before his coming to public attention, John had previously proclaimed a baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel. Now as John was completing his mission, he said, Who do you think I am? I am not the one, but one is coming after me, and I am not worthy to untie the sandals on his feet. Brothers and sisters, children of Abraham's race, and those among you who fear God, it is to us that the word of this salvation has been sent. Since the residents of Jerusalem and their rulers did not recognize him or the sayings of the prophets that are read every Sabbath, they have fulfilled their words by condemning him. Though they found no grounds for the death sentence, they asked Pilate to have him killed. When they carried out all that had been written about him, they took him down from the tree and put him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead, and he appeared for many days to those who came up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are now his witnesses to the people. And we ourselves proclaim to you the good news of the promise that was made to our ancestors. God has fulfilled this for us their children, by raising up Jesus, as it is written in the second psalm, You are my son. Today I have become your father. As to his raising him from the dead, never to return to decay, he has spoken in this way, I will give you the holy and sure promises of David. Therefore he also says in another passage, You will not let your holy one see decay. For David, after serving God's purposes in his own generation, fell asleep, was buried with his fathers, and decayed. But the one God raised up did not decay. Therefore, let it be known to you, brothers and sisters, that through this man, forgiveness of sins is being proclaimed to you. Everyone who believes is justified that through, everyone who believes is justified through him from everything that you could not be justified from through the law of Moses. So beware that is what is what is said in the prophets does not happen to you. Look, you scoffers, marvel and vanish away, because I am doing a work in your days, a work that you will never believe, even if someone were to explain it to you. Now, as they were leaving, the people urged them to speak about these matters the following Sabbath. After the synagogue had been dismissed, many of the Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, who were speaking with them, and urging them to continue in the grace of God. The following Sabbath, almost the whole town assembled to hear the word of the Lord. But when the Jews saw the crowd, they were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what Paul was saying, insulting him. Paul and Barnabas boldly replied, It was necessary that the word of God be spoken to you first. Since you reject it and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life, we are turning to the Gentiles. For this is what the Lord has commanded us. When I I have made you a light for the Gentiles to bring salvation to the ends of the earth. When the Gentiles heard this, they rejoiced and honored the word of the Lord, and all who had been appointed to eternal life believed. The word of the Lord spread through the whole region, but the Jews incited the prominent God-fearing women and the leading men of the city. They stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and expelled them from their district. But Paul and Barnabas shook the dust off their feet against them and went to Iconium. 
and the disciples were filled with joy and the Holy Spirit. And friends, may we also be filled with joy and the Holy Spirit on this most wonderful of Lord's days. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he keep you safe and guide you and shine his light and goodness on you. Good day and Godspeed.